Hello and welcome to the programme. You can visit the website anytime you like, rte.ie forward slash Mooney. a very busy programme ahead of us tonight. Joining me in studio, Aina Nilana and Terry Flanagan, who'd normally be out and about doing reports, but today he's in studio in place of Richard Collins. But we must begin by saying, and I'll only say this once, hello, hello to Niall Hatch, who's in the south of France. Niall, hello, how are you? I'm very good, thanks, Derek, very good. Where exactly are you? So uh, close to Cannes, actually, just right the next town along, a lovely place called Mont-de-Lou-la-Napoule, which is uh, down here on the French Riviera, just in the foothills of the Alps. Uh, my late father spent a great deal of time down here. It was one of his favourite places in the world. So I'm just down here for a few days, just sort of taking care of a few administrative things. Um, worst places in the world to be doing that, I will admit. Uh, and yeah, great to be talking to you today. It's nice, nice and sunny and crisp here. Well, you've got some news for us about wild boar. Now, these were once very rare, as I understand it, in the French countryside, but now they're becoming a bit of a nuisance. What's going on? Well, yes, it's, it's, it's becoming a big issue down here and it's something that's becoming quite visible on, on recent visits down here. I've actually stumbled into the boar a few times myself and people are getting quite nervous about them. So wild boar, they're obviously a native French animal. They're widely hunted in the country and it's a mammal you would associate very much with uh, with, with woodland areas, um, maybe forest clearings, edges of farmland, places like that. There's nothing unusual about that. But in recent years, especially down here in the south of the country, they've been moving more and more into suburbia. And I had my first encounter with them uh, down here a couple of years ago, myself and my mother were actually at the car park of the local supermarket right outside uh, a well-known fast food chain with the golden arches. No, no, uh, no ad-free advertising for them. But just there, just got parked the car and then saw a wild boar just literally walking across the car park around the shopping trolleys. Saw people sort of, you know, looking at it nervously, what's going on. And since then, we've seen warning signs up. There's, um, there's uh, people are getting dogs. They're putting up all sorts of traps and snares to try and control these boar because they can be quite dangerous. Uh, they, you know, they tend to be quite shy around people and they will run away. But the fact is that they've started to realise they can get food in the bins, they can get food around car parks and there's also no natural predators here to try and, and lessen their numbers or reduce their numbers. I know on the on the TV programme that uh, you did, Derek, back from the brink, there was a whole lot of discussion about what was going on in, in the city of Rome, in Italy, with, with the wild boar. And what's been happening there is that wolves have been moving into the outskirts of the city and are helping to control their numbers. And although there's concern over the wolves there as well, there, it, there people do, some people there do welcome them because they actually are a natural control on the boar. They're reducing their numbers and they're very reluctant to go near humans. Now, in this exact part of France where I am, there aren't any wolves around suburbia in this area, but they have been moving back into the Alps. So not too far away. If I'm looking up the, the, the foothills of the Alps, I can see the mountains up ahead of me. I see a place called Mercantur National Park. And there are some wolf packs back in there that have spread back in across the Alps from Italy. And that's also been very controversial, um, much more so than it seems to have been in Italy because you see quite a lot of graffiti up in the mountains and in, in farming areas, people saying, uh, translating it says, death to the wolves, get rid of the wolves. People are very, very scared of their impact on livestock. I think people are looking back at the old fairy stories and and, and those um, the sort of fables and, and the threats of wolves to people. So um, it's kind of it's kind of interesting and a bit concerning. We're not seeing so much acceptance of nature down here and also going a bit out of balance. Uh, interesting as well, too, sometimes I see foxes around here. I didn't used to see that before. Uh, we think of urban foxes in, in Ireland, in, in our cities and towns, it's quite common to see foxes. You often see them dead, unfortunately, on the roads in Ireland too. Down here, it, although they're widespread in France, they're much um, warier. But in the last couple of years, I have seen them moving into the same area as the boar. And what's interesting to me is people down here seem to be quite frightened of foxes. That's something that I've seen elsewhere in Europe too, in Germany and, and Belgium and places like that. People are quite scared about this kind of urban wildlife. Whereas in Ireland, we're not concerned about foxes really at all around urban areas. We know that they're not a particular problem. That said, uh, in Ireland, we don't have rabies. Whereas on the continent, uh, the foxes were one of the main vectors for rabies, although it's not present in this area at the moment. I think that that memory, that that distrust of foxes does does cling on. Um, but I tell you, I'd much rather come across a fox in the woodland or in a car park than I would a wild boar. They are something quite uh, quite frightening when you see them up close. And particularly, I believe that the real risk is if you find if you find a sow, the mother with her little piglets, then that can be particularly bad because they, they really are very, very protective. So yeah, it's a bit of a, a bit of a problem, all right. It seems to me that we can't win either way. We're responsible for the increase 
in numbers because we're leaving out scraps of food so there's plenty for them to feed on and then to breed more and yet if they were on the decline we'd be doing lots to bring them back. <laughs> well, yes, and I think it's all about balance and everything in its right place. The thing that's really missing from that equation is the natural predator. There's nothing in this area that can tackle a full-grown adult boar other than humans and, and they are widely hunted here. It's a, it's a traditionally hunted species here. It's a species as well that I've often um, you know, had a, an affinity with. Uh, in French, they call them sanglier. That's the name for a wild boar. And I know that because uh, when I was a kid, uh, I was a big fan of the Asterix books. I say when I was a kid, I almost admit I still am a big fan of the Asterix books. And wild boar feature very prominently in there because that's the main food that they all feast on. And Obelix is obsessed with hunting wild boars. So that's how I kind of came to associate that with France. Uh, so it's kind of cool from that point of view for me to see them here in France. But yeah, not actually just walking along the driveways or getting close to people. And it, it is interesting to see that kind of animosity towards nature. You do see that too. Uh, it's, yeah, it's, it's, it, you know, when I go out bird watching down here in France, although there are quite a lot of bird watchers here in France, it's not something you see as much as you would in Ireland or in many other European countries. And people can look at you a bit funny when you're walking around with your binoculars or your camera. I, I can kind of understand that too. Uh, but uh, yeah, so, so uh, yeah, it's a real, really changing down here. The other big change that I've seen down here a lot, and I'm, as I'm talking to you, they're flying around outside the window. So many parrots, those rose-ringed parakeets or ring-necked parakeets, they've really, really taken hold down here in the south of France. You see them absolutely everywhere. Escaped cage birds, they're a non-native species, but the climate down here is perfect for them. And uh, there aren't too many predators can tackle them either because they're, they're, they're noisy, they're gregarious, they're in flocks looking out for each other and they fly very, very quick. So they're, they're raucous squawks have become a real feature of this this part of France whereas a few years ago that wasn't the case. Yeah Niall I'm just thinking about the the wild boar that you were talking about just before the parakeets there the Irish name for a wild boar or a wild pig is Tork and some of our place names reflect this so we have Tork Mountain in Killarney we have the Mam Turks and even Inish Turk. The thing is were they wild boar were they just pigs that escaped and I think the consensus is that some of them were, in fact, wild boar, that wild boar were actually brought to Ireland perhaps 8,000 years ago with the first people and became wild and established in the wild. And it was only in the, in the medieval times, in the 1300s, that they, they, they died out. So, I mean, could we consider that a wild boar in Ireland is a return of the native or are the things that we're talking about are just escaped pigs that farmers in those days had and some of them escaped. What, what do you think about the native status of the wild boar in Ireland? It's certainly a very interesting question and the domestic pig is a direct descendant of the wild boar and what can happen when animals return to the wild and go feral, they can revert to their original form. Those wild boar genes are still in there. That bristly coat, those long tusks, they're still genetically coded in those. So it can be that perhaps perhaps it was some form of sort of hybrid or, or integrate between the two. I could see them well being native to Ireland. They're, they're a widespread uh, species all across Europe and Asia. It's, it's a very common animal right the way across uh, through China, Japan, places like that you find them as well and all over Europe obviously where there's been human pressure and lots of overhunting that they have uh, they have declined massively and that wipes them out from Ireland it would seem but it does seem to be a natural part of our ecosystem the Irish ecosystem could certainly cope with this and it has been interesting and concerning and also curious to see that in recent years there have been it seems reliable reports of wild boar in the wild in Ireland I know that camera traps where people put out these motion detector cameras these trail cameras in the Wicklow Mountains National Park have found wild boar walking past so it seems that somebody it seemingly illegally may well have been releasing these in in, in Ireland uh, again, uh, maybe for hunting purposes. Who knows? Uh, but obviously, it's something that needs to be very carefully looked at because when wild boar were present in Ireland, we also had an abundance of wolves as well, which do control their numbers. And things like foxes as well may go for the the, the small piglets if they're lucky. But the, but the fact is, those mothers are really really aggressive and really protective. So it's really only something like a pack of wolves who could really tackle a wild boar. We don't have those in Ireland at the moment. So without that natural predation or the predator prey relationship, it could be a big problem. And it has been very interesting to see, as I was saying in Rome, how the the wolves and the boar are sort of interacting again and how the, it's the increase in the boar are bringing that, that ancient predator, the wolf, which was on the verge of extinction, moving back into the city of Rome, really in the suburbs. It, you know, if you like, um, almost like um, having wolves near the Phoenix Park in Dublin, that's what it's like. That's how close they are to the city centre now in Rome. And it's seemingly with, with minimal impact on humans. They avoid people like the plague. So while the boar or become accustomed to people and come quite close when they're going through the, the rubbish. The wolves do give people a very wide berth. Uh, so in an Irish context, if we don't have the wolves having the boar back, it would be problematic, I think. 
Niall, am I right in saying that the bore have been recorded in a number of other counties in Ireland, particularly in the Midlands? I'm thinking around Tipperary and that. So there may be a lot more of them present than we think about. Yes, they have been reported in other counties in Ireland, as you said, particularly in the Midlands, Tipperary, places like that. And the National Biodiversity Data Centre is maintaining records of this. You could report uh, sightings of any wildlife there. They are very clever, resilient animals. They're very adaptable. They're very good at surviving and slipping under the radar, particularly when there's a relatively low population. They can move around quite easily without being spotted or being spotted too frequently. Uh, they also tend not to come into contact with cars very much. They do seem wary of traffic so that you don't see this road kill, kill as much as you might say see deer or creatures like that. Uh, so they could be spreading and it could also be um, a, a sort of a mixture between some wild boar genes and domestic pig genes. It could be, you know, 50% one, 50% the other. It's very hard to know because at a fleeting glimpse, it's very difficult sometimes to know if you're looking at a pure wild boar. Uh, obviously, the true wild boar, they tend to be a lot hairier than the traditional pink pigs that we would see. But there are other domestic breeds like Mangalitsa pigs from Hungary, which um, are also very hairy. Uh, so it's hard to know. But th- yeah, they, they, they do, could be spreading in Ireland underneath the radar. Niall, the wild boar in Ireland is considered now to be an invasive species and if you look at the National Data Centre's records, every time one has been recorded, the the information at the bottom says it has been captured, it has been taken out of the wild, it has been shot if necessary, whatever it was, so that they are in Ireland at this stage considered to be an invasive species, so if we see them, we should report them and stop them getting a, a foothold in the first instance, because, as you said, we'll end up with a situation like we have with the deer, huge amounts of population and nothing to predate them with. So it's not a good idea to be putting wild pigs into the forest and thinking you're doing the devil and all. You're not. It's a bad, bad news. That's absolutely right, Aina. I think that what we need to look at is the concept now of, of rewilding, of restoring entire habitats and ecosystems. And, you know, it, it's folly to think that you can just replace one or two parts of that jigsaw puzzle, but leave out other aspects of it. So it would be great if Ireland had a, a thriving population of boar again and of, of deer and all of the, the great ecosystem services they provide. They're, the boar, for example, are amazing at, at creating forest clearings. They're amazing at, at helping to spread and disperse seeds and other things within a woodland environment. They're an important part of a healthy environment. However, that's in tandem with their predators because otherwise their numbers grow unchecked. And the, there is no denying that wild boar can be dangerous to humans, uh, certainly more dangerous than deer. And deer, there's danger with deer as well. But boar are, are significantly more dangerous than that again. And without the predators to control their numbers, sadly, it's not the time really for them to be back in an, in an Irish context. It is interesting, of course, that the species that could be considered native is then also considered an invasive alien species as well. Uh, and that's a strange dichotomy that uh, it, it might seem illogical or, or you know, contradictory, but it is, I suppose, a, a realistic reflection of the current situation. The, the, the habitat and the environment in which those boars used to live no longer exists. And until it does, it'd be very difficult for us to be compatible with those species, yeah, unfortunately. Niall, I'm just thinking the last time you broadcast from the south of France, you told us about the Scops owl. Have you heard anything about the recent influx of short-eared owls to Ireland? Now, we normally have the long-eared owl and the barn owl, and in the winter we get a migrant, the short-eared owl, but apparently they're here in big numbers. Oh, absolutely, because there have been, uh, been a couple of them near to my house on the North Wicklow coast, which is traditionally a good place for, for short-eared owls. I love owls. Uh, one of my favourite groups of birds, or indeed of any animal. There's something really magical about them. And a lot of people tell me that when, when they see an owl, because it's often just a chance encounter. In Ireland, it's not something you encounter that frequently, and it's always magical. Uh, the Scops owl that you mentioned, which is down here in the south of France and around the Mediterranean, it's a migrant, actually, just like the, just like the short-eared owl, um, but it's a lot smaller. It's a tiny little owl about the size of a starling and um, the size of your clenched fist a really small little bird that makes this loud sort of tooting sound a bit like a truck reversing if that doesn't sound too weird but at this time of year they've all migrated down to uh, to Africa so they're no, no, not present here at the moment and just like them the short-eared owl is a migrant we do have a small breeding population occasionally in Ireland around the Schlieve Bloom Mountains that kind of area but only a handful of pairs at most and not necessarily every year but in the, in the winter we do get a few it's thought from the continent probably from northern France actually moving into coastal areas in Ireland 
Ireland. But some years when they've had big breeding success, uh, they have a good summer if there's lots of, let's say, rodents around they've been feeding on in places like France or Britain, then they arrive in bigger numbers. And it's a while since we've had a, a good short-eared owl winter, but this seems to be one of them. And one of the best things of all about short-eared owls is that they're day-flying owls. They're out during the day. We think of owls as being nocturnal, uh, but you're actually much more likely to encounter a short-eared owl during the day. Uh, they have these amazing yellow eyes, just this intense yellow stare, which uh, which means that they're actually very easy to identify. They're the only yellow-eyed owl we have in Ireland. Uh, long-eared owls have orange eyes and barn owls have very dark brown, almost black eyes. And you'll also see them often on the ground. They go over open grassland and often perch on the ground. So it's a good time of year to actually go out and see them for yourself. Absolutely. And Terry Flanagan, you were with Eric Dempsey recently looking at the short-eared owl. Just last week, Derek, Eric got in touch to say that there wasn't one, two, three, but four short-eared owls within five minutes of his house. So I, I travelled down to see him down in Newcastle. And I'd have to tell you, Derek, too, it's the first time I'd ever seen a short-eared owl. I'd never seen short-eared owls. I've seen long-eared owls. I've seen barn owls, but never the short-eared owl. Because, as Niall says, they're not very, very common in Ireland. They're winter visitors. Although some may breed here, they're uncommon. What I was really amazed at is that they are a daytime flying owl and their wingspan, it's just huge. I couldn't believe it. And you get quite close to them down there at Newcastle there beside the, the railway, watching them quartering up and down across the fields, coming in, landing on posts. They're a beautiful bird to see. And we saw three the day we were down there. One in particular was a very, very light coloured one. It was almost like a barn owl, the way that the sunlight was catching it. These long wings and very, very slow wing beats. That's the thing I was amazed at. I thought they were going to fall out of the sky. So, yes, I had a fantastic afternoon with Eric Dempsey. Okay, Terry, we can uh, we can stop here. Yeah. It's uh, just before three o'clock in the afternoon. Tell uh, us exactly where we are. We are at Newcastle County Wicklow. Now, just to set the scene for you, we have the East Coast Nature Reserve is just south of us. We have the old Newcastle Railway Station just there. And we are just north of that along the coastal walk. And we're looking in to Newcastle Airstrip. And if you see, we have a lovely grassy area where the planes use uh, it as a runway. But all around it is rough ground. We have marshland, we have scrubland, we have trees, we have a big marshland further for the north. And this is where, in the last couple of weeks, we've had up to four short-eared owls hunting in the evening time. Now that's sort of, for me, unprecedented. Well, I always thought that there were no short-eared owls in Ireland. Certainly they didn't breed in Ireland, and you might only get one in the winter. You normally only get one or two. They're, they're scarce. In some years you get a few more. But this winter, so far, and don't forget it's only November, we've seen an unprecedented arrival of short-eared owls, not even just into Ireland, but also into, into Great Britain. And that could be two things. Firstly, there was a big storm that blew lots of stuff from Europe, Northern Europe. So these birds are probably Northern European birds. Right. They're, they're not Irish breeding birds. These are winter visitors. And it's possible that loads of owls were migrating out of Northern Europe, got caught in one of those big storms that blew north easterly winds across into Britain. And then these birds have come probably through Scotland, Britain, and have reached the East Coast. So there has been shorted owls recorded all the way from Belfast in ones and twos and we have four here but two weeks ago at Decumption Lake in County Wexford someone came across the, probably the, the most incredible sight of ten short-eared owls that hunting together incredible. that 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 like that I, I just couldn't even comprehend that the short-eared owl it's a bit of an enigma because it flies by day I'm looking out here I can't see very many trees because I would always associate owls with trees and we're right beside the sea. I know. They, they are unusual in that they are diurnal. They spend most of their time hunting. Usually just before it reaches dusk, they, uh, they really get very active. But during the breeding season, they're active all day. And they nest out on moorlands and open areas. So they're, they're not a tree nester, they're a ground nester. Again, uh, that's very unusual, isn't and if you, it? And if you, if, if you ever come across a short-eared owl, a dead one, or you see one in the hand, they've really furry legs yeah. so that they are built to keep warm 
and they will hunt during the day in the exact same way as barn owls and long-eared owls hunt, except we don't get a chance to see them hunting. Yeah. So they slowly quarter over the area. Now, you'll be hopeful that we we'll get well, to see let's that. Let's put it this way. I, I've just met some lads in the car park there, and they've spent all day here looking for the, uh, the shorted owls, and they were leaving. And they're just down, down the way a wee bit. And I gave them a money-back guarantee. I said, come back. You're going to see them. They've been here all day and they haven't seen them. Now, it's just coming up to three o'clock. This is when I expect to see these birds getting active because most of the day, if they have fed well, this is the point, if they have fed well, they will be sitting... Re- oh, there's one just there, just going right oh, yeah. by, right in front of us, Terry. You see it, that? It's a beautiful bird. It's the first have you time ever I've seen one before? No, this is the first time I've ever seen one. It's got very, very long wings. It's very light-coloured. It's almost like a barn owl. Well, not quite like a barn owl, but it's very, very bright. It's brighter than I thought. This is a very pale, particularly pale one. And, I, and also the, the wing beats, they're very, very shallow. They're very, very slow. Oh, there he's, on the, he's just hit the ground there. Oh, underneath the wings are extremely white, aren't they? You, you don't mind if we just try no, and no, take no, a no, photograph of this because it's going I'm right just, by us here. I'm looking at the wings. They're, they're flapping so slowly that you would almost expect it to fall out of the sky it's going that slow and it's coming it's coming closer and closer to us that's absolutely beautiful that's probably about 100 metres away from us now and it looks like it's looking for food it is now if you watch it hunting Terry it will slowly fly and if it hears a sound or sees something it will turn or flip on itself and hover above there it is doing that exact thing it's hovering and then it will almost dive head first down into the grass uh, now, this it's is moving th- away from it's us. It's moving now. away from us, but this is the first one. I guarantee you we'll see two or three. Yeah. Now, is that a dedicated pathway that it's taking now, or is it a zigzag it's pathway? It's zigzag, it's random. The birds will move over a wide, wide area hunting. And it's a perfect hunting area. Look, I mean, this yeah. is perfect for rodents. And the other great thing is that we now have bank foals in Wicklow. Right. And bank foals are more active during the day than of rats course, and mice yeah. are. And these birds, on their breeding grounds love voles because voles are more active so these birds are almost vole specialists so in areas where there's a lot of voles owls are doing quite well and shorted owls would be taking advantage of that that's that's a beautiful one mm-hmm. now just to describe them i suppose you know people say short-eared owls do they have short ears but they have little tufts yeah and they're not ears they just display just like a long-eared owl has long ear tufts on the top of their head short ears have short ear tufts their ears are at the side of the head hidden by feathers these and hearing is very important to us. Absolutely, yes. Yeah. So if you, you see those that slow, it's been chased a wee bit there by, yeah, by the crow. crows, are yeah, they? Yeah. yeah. But the crows don't like them. No, at all, no, well, I mean, crows, I often think crows just have a bit of fun with birds of prey. Right. Well, but why do they chase them? Though? Well, you know, they, they consider them to be a predator, a competitor. So they, they just chase them to get rid of them out of the area. In my view, crows are just having a bit of crack. Right. I think they say, oh, there's something we'll chase just for the fun of it. They're, they're actually chasing each other. Look at the two crows right. here. Yeah, yeah. They are, yeah, it, they're you know, chasing if I didn't know that better, big time. Yeah. I, I would say they're playing. Well, that's what I think. I think they're just messing. I yeah. genuinely think crows have that sense of humour. But uh, there's, there he is again. Oh, yeah, yeah. He's yeah. actually... Yeah, he's coming there's right two crows though. there chasing yeah, yeah. the short-eared owl. And the short-eared owl, it doesn't seem to be bothered. No, it's just irritated. It's just sort of, will you well, leave me it, alone? I'm hunting sort yeah, of attitude. it doesn't even look irritated. It's, no. it's not going after the crows whatsoever. It's rising up there now as if it's moving yeah, away. It's just trying to, you know, get, get rid of them, get, get, uh, get them out of the, the way. But going back to what they look like, they have this very flat faces, as all owls do, which, which is sort of almost like a satellite dish, which channels all the sound into their ears. But these have yellow eyes, which they really have bright yellow eyes. As um, distinct from the long-eared which has orange eyes. Yeah. So these have very yellow eyes, and they also have black around the eyes, which, which helps deflect sunlight. So mm-hmm. it's, it's a very interesting evolutionary development for them. But you'll see that uh, some of them are darker there's one particularly dark one and they have a lovely camouflaged barred upper parts but they have this yellow patch on the wing just at the bend of the wing now there's one bird here that has a very orangey patch but most of them have this sort of yellowy orange that one we've just seen is a really pale individual but underneath their wings really are pale, pale with a little black almost like a comma shape just yeah. at the bend of their wing and slightly barred on the underwing but when they're flying they're silent you don't even hear anything no, we there. we heard you know, absolutely nothing. nothing. 
and they will spend the next couple of hours it's just a little after three o'clock now and that's the first one and i expect as i scan around now we'll have one or two more coming in there's been up to four here um, why are there no short-eared owls in ireland then well as i said their their main food items during the breeding season they hunt during the day to get food for the young so voles are their main prey item during the breeding season and we don't or didn't i should say have a good population of voles in ireland at all but as voles begin to expand like i have them in my garden here in wicklow it is possible that they might become established as a breeding species Mm -hmm. but they are primarily a winter visitor so if you are along the coast in an area of rough grassland like this at the moment i think there was three up near balbriggan recently there's a good chance that if you go out and view out over these areas, you may well see an owl. And if it's hunting during the day, it will be a short-eared owl. Well, that's the beauty of the short-eared owl. Because it hunts by day, you get the chance to see it. You don't really get the chance to see a barn owl or, you, or a long-eared owl. You probably hear them, yes. certainly the long-eared owl in the summertime, but you don't really get the chance to see most, them like this. Most times the owls, the owls you see are just sort of going across yeah. the... Uh, going. You know, whipping across in your, your headlights. You don't normally get to see and watch and enjoy what is going on there. And that's why, like, I'm only five minutes from here, Terry. Yeah. So, like, I'm addicted to this place at the moment. So you must come up every day? Well, every day where the light is good. If it's lashing rain, the owls will not be as active. Right. But it's just... And, like, I hopefully... I was taking some photographs. I was talking to you there. Hopefully I'll get one or two shots that will... Uh, which, which will demonstrate just how beautiful they really are, and we'll, we'll get them up maybe on the website, the Mooney Show. Uh, absolutely. Am I right in saying, Eric, one time we were out before, you told me that your favourite shot that you ever took was of a short-eared owl. That's right, that's right, Terry. Um, years ago... Must we were be, talking about yeah, your, that's, your photographs and, and your new website. That's right, the, the birdsireland.com, to give yeah. it a plug, and we're still selling them. Christmas is coming up. Yeah. I was in Ashbourne. Oh, this must be 11 years ago. And there was two or three shorter owls hunting in this field. And I always remember gaining access to the field. So I went into the field and just sat down. And the birds were hunting over a wide area. But one bird came over right in front of me. And I just let the bird see me. I didn't take any photograph. I just let the bird see me. It then circled around and came back again. And I let the bird hear the camera. I didn't raise the camera. The bird heard the shot and didn't, wasn't bothered and on the third circle around me came right up to me and I lifted the camera and the bird was not frightened by me. And you got the shot? And I got the shot. But I remember saying to myself do you know what Dempsey, if you never take another photograph ever again you can retire because it was just one of those shots that just, it just happened and it just, the bird cooperated it was like a trust between the two of us it was just one of those moments so I don't think I'll ever better that yeah. shot even from here trying to take photographs but it's an opportunity for people not just to see these owls, it's an opportunity for people to photograph them as well. And each, each evening there's a lot of people gathering here, like paparazzi, hoping to find the shots. And I see the two guys there waving at me. <laughs> <laughs> they're happy. They're, they're happy now. Yeah, they're about to leave. And I said, no, no, wait, wait, they're giving me a wave from a distance. They're, they're happy campers. Is that another one I see over there? Yes, it in, is. At, at yeah. the, that grey barn. Yeah, yeah, that's another one, Terry. And that's, actually, that's a darker one. Yeah. The first one, actually, there's another one way off. You see where the air sock is? Yeah. Yeah, yeah. there's another one hunting in the reed beds over there. And then there's our pale one, still hunting this general area. So there's three here on show at the moment and you said there are four here there, there has been four right now we've only seen three so far but the thing is that we have a stretch of about 20 kilometers of perfect habitat for short-eared owls so the fact that there's only three here doesn't mean that the fourth is gone it could be that there's three somewhere as well they down may not there. be the same three they, or four that no, you've seen every but, night but there's one particularly pale bird the and that was the seen. pale one I'm beginning to recognise that yes. bird. Yeah. It's a really, it's a much paler bird than the others. But like, what an opportunity! You, yeah. You've never seen short. No, I haven't. No, I haven't. And they're so different because I know what a barn owl looks like. These look a little like the barn owl in the distance, particularly the way the sun catches yes. them. But their wings—they're just so long. Yes. Yeah, so they are a very long-winged bird. Yeah. And, and, you know, and they, they fly so slowly. Yeah. It's a bit like a heron. Yeah, it's so so. Yeah, I was kind of expecting it to fall out of the sky. Yeah, there. no, big, slow wing flaps. Yeah, and and they soar a lot as well. 
and you know if you if you see a buzzard soaring their the wings are slightly in a v yeah these are sort of slightly bowed wings yes and i know it's going to sound mad but i've seen albatross and they have that sort of bowed wing sort of stance of an albatross even though their wings are not that long but they are a special bird they are so different and it's not just because you get to see them during the day it's just they have such a specialized feeding pattern they're diurnal and they're not bothered by you this is the other thing because a lot of these birds will have bred up in the moors of some remote country maybe in northern europe they've probably never encountered human beings before so they don't actually have any fear of human beings and there's a natural barrier here which is the railway line this is the, we, yeah. which we can't cross and it's private land on the far yeah. side so we can't get any closer no, to the no, and, and it's, but this is near it's enough a perfect, it's a perfect viewing platform yeah. because you've, you've a slightly raised path with a fence protecting you from the railway you then have a ditch and one of the owls will often hunt up and down along the ditch trying to flush things from the, the, the banks of the ditch and then you've a private airfield with fantastic habitat all around it it's what are the dangers that they can expect i'm thinking first of all is there a chance one of them may be hit by a train that's probably one of the biggest dangers that they, mm. they face they have no real predator like a peregrine falcon might take them out if 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 they were in a peregrine's territory but they have no real danger except getting hit along the railway track by a train in this particular habitat it's getting close to dusk now, Eric. H- how much longer will they be hunting for? It will depend on how successful they are at hunting. Mm. If they have a, you know, a successful hunt and, and catch several rodents in that two or three hour period. Now the two or three hour period is from what you're saying? So from around three or about so. three fifteen, three thirty at these particular birds at this particular site you could go down to the Cumption and they're hunting at midday but yeah. for, for some reason these birds become really active at about three o'clock in the afternoon. And they'll stay active till five. There's one just there, just going oh, right by us. I see it, yeah. And it's it's Absolutely it's actually silent. yeah, and it's just going right by us. Look at that. That's, That's the pale bird. I love that bird. It's That's so. That's the one we're seeing most. Yeah, and he seems to, or it, because you can't really tell yeah. males from females. He seems to be liking this particular area. And what I was saying before, he gave us a, a royal flyby there. It'll depend on how much food they eat. So if they get a fair whack of food, they can roost. You know, they just roost. There's no point. They, they have full bellies. Now, now, what and they time will, is that? Is that 7, 8 o'clock in the evening? Or, it, or do, they, do they feed into the night? It, they will feed into the night if they're not successful. Right. But if they're successful, they, they will just roost throughout the night. Once they have a good feed, they, they yeah. don't need to use up that energy. They and where, will, where do they roost? Do they, they roost, roost on the ground. On the ground? On the ground. They're not into trees, yeah. Oh, so, what about foxes and things like that? I suppose that is that would be a possible danger to yeah. them. But these birds are highly tuned. They have fantastic hearing, great eyesight. So any fox, any rustle, they yeah. would be really alert to it. So they'll roost on the ground. And if they've been successful in those couple of hours of hunting, they, they don't need to really kick back in again until 12, 15, 20 hours later. So when the morning comes then, they don't get up and fly around. They just They stay, just sit. Yeah, why, why waste energy when you don't need to but do they stay on the ground yes they stay on the ground and if you if you look at that beautifully cryptic pale straw colored pattern that they have it was very like what we were seeing out there just perfect they just sit in there you don't see them so they'll spend they'll spend the day on the ground and then they'll kick back in as soon as they begin to get hungry when they're roosting do they roost in a group say these four no roost together no no would it not be beneficial for them not really no They, they have Brilliant hearing, good eyesight. So, mm. not, I was thinking for warmth, maybe. Yeah, no. Look, look at those mm. feathers. Yeah. Those feathers are like a, you know a duvet. They wrap <laughs> themselves up in a duvet of soft, downy feathers. Yeah. They are, and they have, as I say, they have very fluffy feathers on their on their feet, and they tuck their heads in. So the only bare part that is exposed is their beak, and that is in under their wings. So they are compact, warm little entities during the day. Incredible. We're watching lots and lots of crows go by here, the likes of rooks. That I presume they're all heading off to roost. To now. roost because yeah. it's it's gotten to that time yeah. now, so they're becoming less active, I yes. suppose, and the yeah. owls will become more active. They will, they, if depending on on how successful they have yeah. been. Like uh, I'm just going to give a quick glance over the whole area now and see. We've had three. I hear a pheasant in the background I hear, there. I hear that as well. Yeah. And we heard hooper swans there oh, earlier on. Yeah, it's such a such a wonderful sound. There must be a large crow roost close to here There's because we're seeing hundreds flying did, by. Did you not do something down in Broadlock? 
with um, Steve Newton That's it. many, many years ago. That's where they're still heading. That, still that roost heading. is still down there. And there's no shorted owls flying at the moment. None. So what does that tell you? It tells well, you that tells maybe that they have probably caught some f- enough food for the moment. They might do another quick hunt before it gets dark, dark. Yeah. But they're not hunting at the moment. It's a short, short period. They were. Can they hunt equally as well at night in pitch darkness as they can the daytime? I understand that owls with yellow eyes tend to hunt during the day, whereas owls with orange eyes are more nocturnal. Mm-hmm. And that must mean that those with orange eyes have better sight yeah, but, but also remember that many owls are using their hearing to locate the food as well but I believe that uh, shorted owls they are evolved to hunt during the day yeah. and those yellow eyes are a result of that evolution and of course they fit into that little niche there late in the evening they're getting the voles that are yeah. up and out yeah. and they get the work done before the long-eared owl and Absolutely. the barn owl comes out and, as well. and the good thing is that because they're, they're concentrating on an area like this with lots of you know, rough grassland and shrub, they're not in and around farms where they're open to um, rat poisons. Yes, rodenticides. So they, they don't suffer from rodenticides in the same manner as the likes of barn owls, which is a positive thing. Mm-hmm. So this location here is, is perfect for them. And it's perfect for anybody who would like to see shorter owls. Look over your bogland, look over your rough grasslands, even inland, as they, they are inland as well. But along the coast at the moment, there seems to be a lot of shorter owls. Do you think, is there any chance that some of these may stay? Conditions are ideal here from what it seems. The feeding is ideal. They have no predators. Will any of them say, ah, oh, let's stay here? Well, that's how birds colonise. They arrive in winter. Like the first great spotted woodpeckers that, that colonised arrived in winter. And they said, well, you know, we have a, a niche here. So it is possible. They have bred several times, but they will need to move inland here, up into the moorlands. And this is where the moorlands need to be rich in biodiversity for these birds to survive. We need to have a rich biodiversity in order for birds to nest, raise young and fledge those young. And that's the key. The other interesting thing, Terry, is that the number of owls that we're seeing here, the short owls, could well be as a result of a very successful breeding season. Thank you very much indeed, Eric Dempsey and Terry Flanagan. So, you heard Eric say it there, not it's all to do with food and a good breeding season. Yes, indeed. What happens with owls, their populations tend to fluctuate. We see this with many species of owl, particularly the ones that tend to migrate or erupt, sometimes is how we describe it. So it's kind of an eruption of these owls from their from their other normal wintering quarters or from their breeding areas. We see it sometimes with another owl called the snowy owl, the big white one. Harry Potter fans will know it as Hedwig, Harry, Harry Potter's owl. We sometimes get those in Ireland too, although not in big numbers by any means. It tends to follow what we call a vole year on the continent, where you have all of a sudden a huge production of voles, Um, So lots of food. That means that more young owls survive than would otherwise be the case. What happens, though, it goes in cycles because more owls means more pressure on those small mammals. They eat a lot of them, which means then in a year or two, lower breeding success for the small mammals, which means then worse breeding success for the owls. And so it goes up and down. It's like a bit of an arms race or a cycle. So it seems to be a high point of one of these uh, one of these these owl years. Uh, One of the the sad things that happened recently as well, I know that the owls there along, along the coast, I think at least two of them have been found dead alongside oh, the, uh, the the main Dublin Rosslare train track. It looks like they've been hit by the train. And that's one of the problems with these owls. They probably haven't encountered trains before. They fly quite slowly, drifting over the ground, head down, looking and listening for prey on the ground so they can come into contact with these vehicles, particularly trains or trucks or things like that. So they are quite vulnerable. And it's very sad when you see something like that happening, especially when you consider how far that owl has travelled and what it's been through to get here. Uh, but hopefully we'll still have a good number of survivors and people will be able to connect with these because they are such beautiful birds. You never forget seeing an I'll bet I have never seen one in the flesh myself. Now, Aina, you were talking in your Eye on Nature column in the Irish Times about the influx of waxwings. That's right. Yes, indeed, a party of 18 waxwings were seen by the Inishowen birdwatching group in October and they were very excited <laughs> You're making this. it sound like Garda Patrol there. <laughs> <laughs> well, it was like Garda Patrol in the sense that they took pictures, they recorded it and they were really, really excited about it because we haven't had a waxwing year since I think 2016 and as Niall says, it's, it's, it's a good news story in the sense waxwings breed and live in the north of Scandinavia and Russia 
in that part of, of Europe and they feed on berries and they had such a good breeding year this year that there was loads of baby waxwings. They all had plenty of berries to eat. They grew up and gobbled all the berries and now there's none. So they have to go spreading west in order to find berries in other parts of Europe. So you get a good breeding year, then you have the eruptions of the wax wings. And so it's not a sign that the world is ending or their territory has been damaged or anything like that and they have to move. It's a sign that they've done so absolutely well, they've bred so very well that the the offspring have to move looking for food. So they, they've come down, they've come down to Scotland and this party came over as far as uh, Donegal and a party of them was seen there at that time in October. Now I see again this week that um, loads more of them have been seen all over Scotland so there must be a second eruption of them as well sounds like a volcano but anyway and hopefully some of those will drift back over here to Ireland as well to eat our berries because they're savages they can eat their own weight in berries in two and a half hours oh my goodness so it doesn't take long for them to, to gobble all the berries on your on your hawthorn or on your rowan tree mm. they particularly like rowan and they, they don't, they're, not, they're not too fussy about native species they'll eat cotoneaster they'll eat pyracanta they'll eat anything with berries on it so people who have lovely bushes in their gardens with berries on them at this time of the year are going to be rewarded with visits. So they come to urban gardens, they come to they come to places where people live. You don't have to be standing on one toe on loop head with your binoculars and focus trying to see some exotic migrant. These ones you just look out the kitchen window and there they and are. There. Well if you know what you're looking at, Niall, will you describe a waxwing please? I'll do my very best because it's almost a bird that defies description. It's possibly the most exotic, crazy looking bird you're going to see in an Irish context. So they're a beautiful sort of deep reddish pink colour, mostly. They have a flamboyant crest on their head. They can raise and lower. They have a little thin bandit-like eye mask, a bit like Zorro, over their eyes. They have uh, these wonderful red waxy dots in their wings, uh, which is where the name waxwing comes from. It, it looks like the, the, the old wax that was used for sealing documents with the signet rings and, and so on, hence the name. They have this lovely subtle kind of grey wash on towards the tail and then the end of the tail it's got these little yellow spots on it. It's the most exotic looking bird with yellow, yellow striping in the wing as well so there's nothing looks like a waxwing. There's no mistaking them. They're not a terribly big bird. They're about the size of a starling and as Aina was saying you tend to see them in big groups. They breed in the boreal regions, the very far northern forests of places like Scandinavia and northern Russia and we get these eruptions every four or five or six years on a cycle just like with the owls. Uh, it's, it's a cyclical thing based on food availability. But where they breed, they rarely encounter human beings, which means when they come to us here in Ireland, they tend not to be terribly scared of people. They're quite approachable uh, and they're often, you're often attracted to them by the sound they make. They make uh, when the flock is together, it makes a sound like lots of tinkling bells. That's how I would describe it. They eat so quickly, they're, they're berry processing machines. So the berries go in one end and out the other. So unfortunate for you, if your car happens to be parked underneath that particular tree, it's going to be covered in droppings uh, within a few minutes. Uh, one of the problems that sometimes happens with waxwings because they eat such vast quantities of berries and they can eat between two and a half to three times their own weight in berries every day. If there's lots of berries on the trees, what happens is as the season goes on, those berries, they may freeze. And then they thought, well, what has happened is the juice in those berries then starts to leak out. It's exposed. That juice has sugar in it. And then the heat of the sun, sometimes in the, in, in the, in the late winter or early spring, it causes that sugar to ferment. And fermented sugar turns, of course, into alcohol. And then what happens is these birds eating three times their own weight in alcoholic berries every day, they get completely plastered. And we get reports of them literally landing on people's heads, crawling under their cars, falling asleep on people's doorsteps, things like that. Uh, so, yeah, it's, it's a strange problem for a bird to have but the waxwing it's a bird that breaks all the rules really mm, we'll put a picture of a waxwing and a short eared owl on the website so you'll know what you're looking at if you happen upon them in the coming days weeks or months ahead now Niall you were out for a walk with Rob Gandola recently Rob is the chief scientific officer with the Irish Herpetological Society but you weren't talking about reptiles no, that's right. It was an absolutely wonderful experience. The weather was absolutely dire. It was just at the, the, the tail end of a very, very stormy day. So it was very, very wet. It was pitch dark. We're absolutely sodden. I was there to, to, to talk about an amphibian, first of all, for frogs, for, for, for the, the nature nights on, on RTE. But while we were there, Rob and I noticed quite a lot of, of pairs of eyes staring back at us from the darkness. It was kind of very, it was very interesting. It was a little bit unsettling, I must say, just to see so many pairs of eyes reflected in the light, just staring at us in the darkness, moving around, paying attention to what we're doing. But certainly it was very atmospheric and it's an experience that I won't soon forget. So, Niall, this is actually 
a cracker of a spot. I love this place where I brought you to, and it's very close to where I live, actually, just outside Lara Village in County Wicklow. Very scenic. Now, it's pitch dark. If I didn't have this torch, we'd be in trouble. I, I would have slipped on my backside long ago. Yeah. Oh, I know this place quite well, and I still there's a good chance that I'd injure myself without a good torch. The reason why I want to take you down here is, is particularly right so there's a lot of deer moving around mm-hmm. but um, we've also got a lot of pine marten moving around here as well which seem to uh, be you know they're either the, the bane or the beauty depending on who you're talking to around here some people love them some people hate them because they have a, a, a fondness for chickens yes. um, as most mustelids do and um, there's also badger here there's red squirrel here during the day as well you know so it's quite a diverse spot for Irish mammals, even though it's quite a small patch as well. So uh, I think we need to have a wander down here to where this kind of grassland meets a bit of woodland okay. edge. And we'll, you we'll go first with look, the torch uh, there? Yeah. And, and we'll have a look. It's a very wet evening, I should yeah, say. Soaking for, wet down here. For a bit of ice shine. Just, just be careful because there's a lot of uh, old drainage ditches that have been dug <laughs> into the ground. Um, I'll stick close to you. Yeah, and keep, keep to the right because it's very wet and buggy over on, on the left. Okay, Grant. Great. Okay. So, um, in position. Yeah. So I'm just gonna lower my voice a touch here. But uh, there was earlier when I was down here, there was this lovely set of inquisitive eyes, kind of checking me out, wondering what was going on with the torch. Mm-hmm. Um, and now that it's like properly pitch dark and it's raining, um, they seem to be just watching what's going on in terms of me moving the torchlight around. Obviously, I'm shaking it because I need to not fall over myself. And then I'm pointing it behind me so that you don't fall over yourself or me. <laughs> <laughs> and we end up a big wet mess on the ground. Health and safety, very but, important. Uh, yeah. So um, oh, that's what I saw a flash of eyes in the tree. Yeah, exactly. So that's very likely to be some of our um, vagrant pine martens that hang around wow. here. So I don't think... They're resident, I don't think they're breeding or they're, or they're nesting anywhere in here. Like, there's no pine martin boxes up. Um, maybe that's a job for the new year, but uh, there's a very good sense. Like, so we've caught them on the camera traps moving through, and we know they're male and female for obvious physical characteristics <laughs> when they're walking away from the cameras. But that's there amazing. was a pair, pair of eyes. I saw, I saw the, 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 the animal yeah. in the tree, it, it flashed its eyes towards us. It was looking, uh, pine martins being muscles, they're incredibly curious. I'm sure they're listening to us speaking and, and seeing the torch and wondering what's going on. Uh, and also I saw quite a lot of eye shine, bit bigger eyes, further spaced, um, a bit more orange in, in colour, which I presume are the deer. Yeah, so they, they'll be our, our resident seeker um, deer that like to move through the gardens, eat everybody's grass. You think that a bit of fencing's going to get in their way, but unless that fencing's eight feet tall, those guys are coming over it, you know. Um, There's a pair of eyes watching us down low there, look. Shining out from behind that... Uh, that foliage there okay oh yeah i can see it yeah lovely and there's a bit of it a bit of movement there yeah there's a little bit of movement there's a bit of a greenish tinge i don't think it's a fox something checking us out for sure there yeah. rob oh uh, yeah now and it's gone yep so it's gone into the i'm back. back this is all the hallmarks i think of our pine martens um Ooh. so they're just watching and then if we walk and they run like they're right in the forest edge here they'll, they'll disappear you could um, tell when, when we saw the deer and their eyes shine, their eyes are more widely spaced. You can definitely tell yeah, it's a yeah. bigger animal. The pine martin, the eyes are rather cat-like on the front of the head. I see something, te- they're definitely taking an interest in it. That head's bobbing from the side. Oh, look at it. Yeah. It's lifting, lifting up its neck, I imagine. That's magic. Just having a little look. See, the grass is quite long there because it hasn't been grazed um, right along this woodland border area. They can get away. I think it's just like, they're just curious. They're just so curious about everything. And we have found, like up where we've left the vehicles now, there's, there's been a lot of scent marking recently. Ah, okay, okay. So uh, we found scat. We found like the, the spray patches as well. So I'm wondering if... Uh, it's definitely a pair of them there. I see yeah. the two, two sets of eyes. So I, I'm, I'm wondering if this is, um, you know, it's kind of like the last hurrah before resources get mm. scarce. They're trying to capitalise on, on, you know, maybe there's a, there's a lot of late season lambs around or, you know, not the pine martins eat lambs, but they might scavenge if one of them mm-hmm. has died um, or they might scavenge something that a fox may have left over. You mentioned there about the camera traps and that you've seen pine martins on them. You've seen yeah. red squirrels on them. When did you last see a grey squirrel on them out of interest? Up here? Never. Yeah. Never <laughs> seen grey squirrels, which is fantastic. And I know that they're down in the village and we know they're as far as, so we see them regularly in Animo 
We see them regularly in roundwood, so we know that they're around. They're in the national park as well, but we've never seen them this far up, up, uh, up out just outside, like um, Lara Village, which is great. So I'm hoping that uh, it's the pine martin that's keeping them in check and keeping them away. Well, that's right because the animal we're watching right now, these pine martins, they're the absolute nemesis of the grey squirrel. Apparently, they're delicious, um, but ver- <laughs> but a bit greasy. But uh, for a pine martin, you know, like a grey squirrel would be a, would be a good sized meal. And when you look at the reds and how the reds interact, so like you get, like you will get both um, species on on the camera traps. Like the reds are teeny, oh, you know, yeah. compared to like even like like an adult pine martin. Like the reds are so small, you can see how, you know, I'm sure a pine martin wouldn't wouldn't uh, turn his his nose up at a at a red squirrel lunch. But um, you can see how the red squirrels could get away by just getting out onto thinner branches or just being very nimble and agile, and just escaping and like given the amount of woodland that's here. You would think that this is why, uh, you know, a lot of the pine martin scat that we find would be full of berries. Ah. So there's probably a lot of frugivory going on, especially this time of year. Like I think it's been a particularly good year for uh, hawthorns this year. Like look at that bush there. Yeah, yeah, looking very Ridiculous full. amounts yeah. of hawthorns. So we'll find a lot of berries in in the scat as well. So it's better than bones, at least <laughs> as far as red squirrels are concerned. So just for the benefit of the listener, to explain what we're looking at, it's a pitch black background. I see these these bl- bright eyes staring back. It's almost cartoonish. It's like something you, you'd see in a cartoon uh, where it's just these bright shining eyes in the tree. Sort of curiously moving from side to side. They seem to be quite interested in this. They're not frightened. They're not running away. They're watching us constantly. Uh, it's just after Halloween and it's very fitting because there's something quite spooky about this, I have to say. I'm glad I'm here with you. Yeah, there's, there's, uh, there's nothing like having to wander around in the dark and then all of a sudden these two green globes are kind of reflecting back at you from what looks to us a face height, you know, so... Uh, they're, they're walking well, around there, well, they're, well, this, they're descending, yeah. yeah. Yeah, so you can see the deer have run down Oh, here. the deer coming down, yes, yeah. yes, so yes. The deer yes. are coming down, and so you see that their eyes are slightly different. They're, they're to the side of the head. That's right. And they, they, they reflect a, a, a different colour. There's more of an orangey colour to them. Um, there's the deer now moving down, I think, because they've they've gotten used to us now at this stage. Do you know what it reminds me of when they're walking down, talking of cartoons? It reminds me of the, the seven dwarves with little mining lamps on their head trotting yeah. down the hill. Well, it is, and there's that enough can... of them. Sleepy Dopey and uh, Bashful there. The Bashful can be the one at the back, kind of being a little bit shy. So numbers of deer here, like most evenings we'd see anywhere between kind of 13 and, and 17 of them. Um, moving up along the woodland edge and then they'd be out on the road causing all sorts of mischief as deer like to do you know um, you do have to drive carefully here in this, in this abs- area absolutely yeah there's, there's, there's no speeding and I think um, there's, there's a concerted effort now to try and get signs up on the road because again there's a lot of tourists around and, and people who are like you know might be in higher cars not used to driving on Irish roads as well just to get a couple of plates up to say you know um, caution wildlife so uh, look that's why they're moving Oh, well, yeah, they're used to the coming down. It's coming down. Um, do you know what else is coming down? The rain. You can probably hear it there on the umbrella there, Derek. Uh, and I'm also getting bitten by mosquitoes, so I think maybe we should, maybe we should call, it, call it a night. <laughs> Head off for a cup of tea, absolutely. Let's go. Oh, cold and wet, Niall, cold and wet. But a lovely evening by the sounds of things. It really was, Derek, and, and really great to be there with Rob, someone who knows so much about the wildlife of that local area where he lives in Wicklow, and uh, yeah, it was an amazing experience. It was worth getting wet for. Anyway, Niall, enjoy the rest of your time in the south of France. We'll see you back here in the studio next week. Bye! Bye! There goes Niall. Now, Terry, you want to mention something about the short-eared owl? Well, I was just going to say, as you know, Eric is a fantastic photographer, and he took some lovely photographs in the night. I'm nowhere in his league, but what I did do is I took some video footage of it, just on the iPhone, and I I've sent it in to Daniel and I believe it's up on the website. So go to the website rte.ie forward slash Mooney if you'd like to see some video of the short-eared owls in County Wicklow. Aina, anything to add before we wrap things up? Well, I mean, I'm, you're wrapping things up, so I've only got a second. So, I mean, if I had half an hour now, I could add loads of things. <laughs> you could fit a lot in in a second. Well, this is the thing. But, it, I, mean, it, I mean, it's the end of November. Mm. And look how we have the programme filled, not with things we spoke of from last summer or something. That there's nature all around us at the moment. There's the owl, there's the fungi, there's the wax wings. So, I mean, don't be thinking, oh, it's too late, everything's gone. There's Okono, there's Okono. There's wildlife everywhere all the year round. It may change, they may get different ones at different times of the year but there's always something so don't be don't just look at the radio go out and look yeah, for the don't wildlife just stare at that radio give us a call as we used to say you can visit the website anytime you like rte.ie forward slash Mooney or you can email Mooney at rte.ie my thanks to Aineen Ilana Terry Flanagan and Niall Hatch our broadcast coordinator is Daniel Keating and our researcher is Michelle Brown we'll do it all again next week until then bye bye <laughs>